Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Sample Hour. Today is the third installment. Um, I guess it's not really an installment, it's a monthly thing. So Charles Hugh Smith and I, the writer, um, renaissance man of uh, OfTwoMinds.com. He's got the Of Two Minds blog. Check out his blog. You definitely want to read it every day. I do. Um, you can subscribe to it on, uh, I use Feedly on my cell phone, so if you have an iPhone or a Android, use Feedly, um, and you can subscribe to different feeds, different bloggers, but subscribe to Charles Hugh Smith, and then once you're done, if you like what he said, you can share it. So you can share it on Facebook, Twitter, all those all those cool, fun social networking sites. Also, if you have not done this yet, go to Amazon.com or go to his website, um, and get his book, get a job, build a real career and defy a belittling economy. Thank you guys so much and enjoy the show. everybody to another episode of the sample hour um i'm very happy uh, to have one of uh, my my now uh for the third time on now my uh guest and friend mr charles hugh smith how you doing today sir great but glad to be on your show again drew yeah, it's always a pleasure it's always a pleasure we were uh um so we were just talking off air my mom uh we were talking about technology and kind of like the older generation. And I was a little bit delayed getting started because my mom was having a bit of a Facebook crisis. And uh, I was helping her out with that. But I think like I think that's actually like kind of a good segue into the conversation because I think in like in today's world, you know, something you always talk about on your blog and something I didn't say. So if this is your first time listening to the show, please check out Charles's blog. It's Of Two Minds, um, the Of Two Minds blog. It's very good. I read it every day. Um, but something you talk about is is being able to adapt. And the biggest thing, even in like in evolution, it was never the survival of the fittest. It was really who could adapt the best. So more of like the, I guess you could say the adaption of the fittest. But I think like in the economy, in just today's world, I think that's so important for people to just try to adapt. And um, recently... Uh, I was at another, I was at a family function, Charles, and I was in, you know, I'm from Toledo, Ohio, which is still very much so blue collar. Um, Some news just broke that they were going to be moving one of the factories out for Jeep, and Jeep's one of the last staple for factories that they have there, and all their new employees are maxed out at a certain, I think it's only like 14 bucks an hour, so it's not like, it's not really a job that you could raise your family from, 
And there's still like that uh, that underlying consciousness that's, you know, we need these factories. And it's like, man, you have so much opportunity here if you just move your lens. And uh, so in this family get-together, somebody kind of like reaches out to me and I get pulled into this conversation and we were talking about, you know, we were, t- we were talking about, you know, college degrees. Uh, one of my family members in particular, he's younger and he, he just kind of does his own thing. And I don't always agree with his decisions. But my one uncle was trying to, like, crucify him because he didn't get a college degree because he would be set up for the rest of his life. And it's just like this, that whole mindset, every time I hear that, I don't know about you, but it just like, it's just as like, it's like nails on a chalkboard. And I'm just like, it's, it's not that simple. It's not like you can't like every degree is inflated. There's so much debt. Um, you know, the, the automotive recovery is, is, is more of an illusion. And you know, there's still, the housing bubble is still kind of, you know, just kind of reoccurring. So, I mean, it's, it's just one of those things like how, what, what do you think it's going to take for people to start really just kind of like adapting or no realizing that they have to take their lenses off and put a new pair on. Yeah. It's, it's a fascinating topic, Drew, because, um, and I think that you're well-placed, uh, being a millennial, I think, I, I, I don't know. I know we've talked before, like you kind of feel like you're part, uh, in between Gen X and, and millennial is, is that how you kind of categorize yourself and in this kind of normal generational, uh, scope? I'm at like the, 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 I'm the, Oldest generation. I'm, I'm up the older because I think millennials are actually like 35 and down now. That's what they're oh. kind of classifying it as. Um, yeah. I recently read that those Reason Magazine articles that I, I, I tagged you in them. And yeah, I think millennials, that's an interesting thing. Like millennials, we like overwhelmingly millennials are really for entrepreneurship. It's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. You did um, send me those. And I, I think I saw them, uh, that you tweeted them as well, yeah. uh, some links. And I found those very interesting. Yeah. Well, the, I am, um, for better or for worse, a baby boomer, 60 years old, you know, born in the early 50s, like, you know, 60 million other people or whatever. And so I'm, I'm looking uh, from the perspective of somebody older, but who's um, – trying to adapt. And I think that, you know, you're so right when you focus on the ability to adapt is actually the greatest strength we have. And so when we talk about like innovation or, you know, these things that are supposed to like keep us um, prosperous, they're really just adaptations, you know. And so innovation is um, sometimes innovation means looking back and pulling something out from the past that now, that now will work better than what we've been using recently, you know. I mean, um, so adaptation covers a lot of different ground, not just innovation. But, you know, um, I, you know, there's a famous saying, right, that um, we're always – the generals are always going to fight the last war. And um, that's, that's kind of the same topic we're talking about now, right? They, they prepared to do the, the – uh, they've had their own experience. Um, they 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 uh, fought in, in a war that um, had these characteristics, and so they've prepared for that. And we bought the weapon system for that war, and you know, the manuals are all about fighting that war. And so, when there's a different kind of war, then you know, the army that's unprepared loses. 
you know, or they, it loses a lot of people because, um, you know, they're just prepared for the wrong situation. And so that when you talk about like auto, auto factories and this kind of stuff that was um, from the 50s and 60s, you know, the glory years where, um, you know, these factories needed a lot of labor and, and you could like learn your job in like basically five minutes, you know, and at least in a lot of assembly plants, right? Like, here's the part, you, you get it, and then you stick it on, and then you do that eight hours a day, and you go home, and you have a middle-class income. And the idea that that era is past is very difficult for people. Yeah. And, and that's, isn't that kind of what you're describing? Like, we yeah. cling to what used to work, and we wonder why it doesn't work now. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, like, it was kind of like a – it was like it started as a conversation as me saying that and then having multiple adults try to, like – it was like I, I really poked at, I guess, metaphorical splinters that are in their thinking. And I was just poking at them by saying the truth. Because one guy was like, you know, I, it was like my, um, my uncle's wife's brother. He, he was saying if he would have had a degree, he could get jobs now. And it's like, man, you know, nobody, nobody owes you a job. Like nobody, you, that, we're not in the world where you can just go expect to get a job and live comfortably off that income. For some people, you can still do that certain careers but in reality you should really be telling your kids like what kind of business do you want to start what what's uh you know what are you interested in okay how could we turn this into making money from that like it's it's like the the lens you have to look at things is completely different yeah absolutely and and i do um not want to assign blame per se but um you know the boomer generation which is now parents and and grandparents um, you know, it was they're they're responding from the um, from the economy they enjoyed in the '60s and and to some degree even the '70s when you know not that many people had a college degree. There was about I think it was about 20 percent of the population, 15 20 percent had a college degree. So uh, there were more jobs um, than there were people with college degrees. Now it's more like 40 percent of everybody has a, a college degree, and like 80 percent have college experience. And so there's now there's more people with college degrees than there is jobs that actually require a degree, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And so, you know, we've talked a little bit about the structure of the economy, you know, and um, I think that's the context we have to think about, which is, um, you know, the advances in in software and robotics, um, networking, the millennial generation um, of course, you you know is much more attuned to this, right? I mean, they understand the power of of computers, networking, uh, and and to some degree, I think um, robotics or three D f- fabrication technologies, um, all this stuff that seems like um, science fiction to somebody in their fifties and sixties, unless they're really connected to you know the, the industry. And that's the future. And so the idea that you can just go get a job and learn something in 10 or 15 minutes and then, and then get paid a middle-class life, that's, that's just um, – that's no longer real, you know. And so the boomers, in a way, I hate to almost say it, but you have to almost um, – they're going to have to fade out. <laughs> you know, they're going to have to like retire, get out of the way and, and let go of their um, assumptions that a college degree is now some kind of – instant way to mint a middle-class lifestyle and it's like no way you know i mean you you basically can get the same kind of job as somebody with a high school diploma now 
right? Yeah, that's the reality. Absolutely, and, and and especially with um, you know, like like in your in your book, which I'm going to plug again. Buy it's uh, get a job, build a career, defy the bewildering economy on Amazon. Um, you know, I, something you talk about in there, and you know, and we've talked about it before, but sometimes I feel like you just can't talk about it enough. Is YouTube University, and like YouTube University, like. YouTube is such a powerful thing. Um, you know, recently I was reading your blog about cooking. Like you, you cooked some spaghetti sauce from scratch and you talked about how intimidating it was. You're like, in, in actuality, it wasn't that bad. And so I read that blog post and then um, I'm at work and, you know, we're having like a, a potluck. And, I, and then I've been trying to like eat healthier and cook things from scratch. So I, I picked up this funny book. I saw this... Uh, brilliant marketing YouTube video uh, advertisement. It was a preview for this book called Thug Kitchen. And it's like all these really good recipes. And this guy uses a ton of profanity to tell you how to make <laughs> recipes. But like the recipes are good. So I I found this thing. It was like this, uh, it was this um, chickpea tabbouleh. And I'm, a, and I'm a big, like, I like a lot of Mediterranean food. I'm like, yeah, that'd be cool to make. So you know, I, I made this stuff from scratch. I, I pretty much used YouTube for terms I didn't understand or the internet. And then I made it and it was, and I was really insecure about it. Like I, I, I had this clear dish so people could see the color and I put it out there and I'm super insecure about it. I'm trying to get my friends to try it, see what they think. And I'm like, do you think I should have added any of this? And I'm just, it was really funny. And it, people loved it. And I was like really surprised and proud of myself and I felt like I put this huge deposit in my emotional bank account from it. Um, I, I, but I think like, you know, YouTube university and, and cooking, but I think like cooking is like a metaphor for, for anything. Like, I feel like you can, you can use YouTube to do, to teach yourself how to do anything. Like, um, uh, you know, you, you've used the example before about fixing appliances. I know my dad built this whole shed in the back of his yard and most of the work he he taught him like he was already pretty skilled with stuff but it was pretty much youtube you can you can do every you can learn anything from it yeah and and again that's a generational thing that um i think the millennials are are um attuned to that like why not you know like in other words the idea that i have to go take a, a whole course you know on cooking at the community college that, that's a that's a very much an old style kind of boomer thing that i need a college you know credit here you know and it's all like forget the college credit and sitting in a classroom for like 12 weeks i mean just you can learn it in like 12 hours by just looking at youtubes and um i i have to say i i'm very impressed with your Chickpea tabbouleh and um, <laughs> um, and I, and, but you know it, it's funny that we can talk about that that there is a certain amount of insecurity um, in in doing something you've never done before right and um, when you when you're around young kids um, you know then you learn I mean, you watch them and then you know they're always dropping stuff and then they um, they practice things constantly like they put you know, marbles in a cup and then they spill them out and then put them back in. And, you know, that's how we learn is, uh, we have to, we have to fail a lot, you know? And so that's the other thing that our culture, we, we glorify guys like Steve Jobs and we love reading about how, you know, he got fired from his own company and, you know, in a way he failed. Right. And, um, and then he came back and yay, you know, but, uh, it's a lot of small failures, a lot of small steps like, cooking something that didn't quite pan out or, you know, 
spacing out and burning it and then you got to do it again and you know but that so that that ability to absorb failure and say this is part of the process i'm afraid that's part of what our culture is losing and and when we talk about the millennials being entrepreneurial i think the i think part of that is millennials those who are entrepreneurial are willing to take on the risk of failure and um you know i want to i want you to um talk a little bit more about your um about your entrepreneurial um, impresario yeah. business, yeah. you know, oh, because I think that's so fascinating. And I think Thug Kitchen is a great example, too, of like a field that's been done to death, right? There's like a million cookbooks. There's a million cooking shows. And yet this guy, I guess it's a guy, he's come up with a, a new angle on it. And um, and he's going to bring in a bunch more people into the kitchen to make real food. So I applaud him. You know, yeah. he's, he's an entrepreneur. Great idea. It's brilliant. Yeah, great marketing. <laughs> Every, everything to do with it or even like Dollar Shave Club. I like that. That whole like all we need is a funny marketing video on YouTube that's well done and they actually have a good product to back it and people will sign up. And it's uh, – but uh, about my entrepreneurial stuff, yeah. So – um. You know, it, it for me, it started, it, it was just kind of one of those things. I was a fan of comedy. I was a fan of podcasts. And like, and, it, and it's, it's all connected. So when I started the podcast, um, you know, it, it was mainly, I was really into like uh, this guy from, from Columbus. Uh, he produces Joe Rogan's podcast. And he had like this Death Squad show. And there's like this whole community kind of popped up that were podcast fans and fans of these comics. And like so, Joe Rogan would have these sponsors, and everybody was kind of lining up, and they'd they'd buy what he would say to get, and people would want to participate with these comics and buy their merch. So it was kind of like one of those things that we we a group of us had talked about doing shows, comedy shows, because we're like, you know, these aren't mainstream comics. There's a market for it, so you know, let's let's kind of collaborate and do it. And so we were talking about it, and in Columbus, we've struggled a lot to get with venues. Um, there's not it's really hard like it's fun to do and i'm pretty happy with it if i just break even a lot of time at this point but um you know it, it it's in toronto it was a different story um my friend uh joe uh Tushido or joe rangatan on twitter he you know he would he'd aspire to kind of be a comic and then he was like you know what i think i want to own my own comedy club and so him and um him and you know my really good friend who um you know who I hang out with all the time down here, um, my friend Jason. They started doing some shows in Canada last year, and I didn't, I didn't really have the capital, and I didn't have the money to even get my passport at the time to do it. And now that like, you know, I just kind of stayed on my course. Um, now we're we're going up to Toronto next week, and we're going to help put on the the Kill Tony show. And Kill Tony is a cool concept too. And that's you know I want to give shout outs to Red Band. Red Band pretty much. Like it's interesting because it's like it's a it's like a live podcast that you can watch on Ustream, and what it is is it's it's a lot like you know I would compare it to like American Idol. You have like a panel at a table. You let somebody come up and they do a minute of comedy, and then or three minute I think it's one minute, and you give them your best minute. They kind of critique you and help you out on jokes, and then if whoever does best gets to um, gets to open up for the show. And do three minutes for the main show. So it's like this cool concept. So it's like there's a lot of cool things that like I'm happy to be a part of this um, for a lot of different reasons. Because it's like it's not only is it like it's kind of like this punk rock style organized comedy shows that like just fans pretty much got together and started 
booking these shows, but then it's also, you know, the the shows themselves are original in their own right. So it's 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 creative in its own right. So it's it's been a really fun journey for me and I'm really happy that um I made the decision to become be a part of it. So in terms of of earning its keep, um there's an admission fee and oh, and absolutely. then yeah. Yeah. So absolutely. So it's it's a little bit more challenging when you don't so a lot of times, like here in Ohio, like, you know, we, I know when we put on our last comedy show, we made that bar a ton of money. Um, and we wanted to pay our, like, we were friends of these comics, so we wanted to pay them. So, you know, we, we I mean, we broke even for sure. And I think, you know, but it, it's mainly like venue. It's mainly like selling tickets. And, and a lot of it, too, is like, you know, finding a good venue has been really challenging for us. But I, I think if, you know, if, if. You know, eventually, I think we'd like to open up our own venue and and do it that way. Because if you can control, you know, liquor sales, it seems like a lot of comedy shows make a lot of their money off liquor sales. But in Toronto, it's a lot different just because of the venue. Um, so Toronto, you know, I'm not I'm not super familiar with uh, all the business. This is gonna be the first time I go up there, but I know you know they're they're doing pretty well with those shows, and the comics themselves want to be a part of those shows because they're different. So it's 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 uh it's an exciting thing. Yeah, no, I'm glad to hear about that. Um Drew and 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 we can um I think we can draw some sort of lessons from your experience that that other people can think about or apply to their own ideas, which is sometimes you have to move an idea to a place where there's enough people, um media, capital um for it to work, you know, and um this is this is why so many people are you know, end up in cities or whether they're medium sized, small or, or, or meg, you know, mega cities, because that's where there's enough money and opportunity to support your idea, you know? And so I think it's a great idea to go to Toronto, which is, you know, famous for its arts, uh, you know, the film festival, uh, it's got a large population, you know, wealthy. So yeah, there you go. And sometimes you have to take your idea out of your hometown or neighborhood and, and, um, bring it to some place that can support it yeah 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 i i think um yeah i agree like and it's been like and we have some other ideas for ventures here and i think like you know something that's really taken off in columbus which i think is a really big opportunity around the rest of ohio like kind of shifting gears is like locally sourced food restaurants like we i i take i took for granted how many we had you know, all the meats from farms in Ohio, a lot of the vegetables come from farms in Ohio. And, you know, and, and I think that's a huge opportunity because people want to eat healthier. And, it, and it, it's like interesting. I, and I'm sure is there a lot of um, a lot of restaurants like that in California. Yeah, it's certainly a trend here, too. And uh, people are willing to pay more, you know, for that kind of food. And then it gives the restaurants a marketing angle, right? And um, because that's how you get people through the door as well. I want to eat local and support my local community. And people are, you know, they're drawn to that. And, of course, yeah, the, the, that that kind of philosophy is actually was founded here in one of my hometowns, which is Berkeley, California, which is this restaurant, um, Chez Panisse, um, that just was started, I think, in the late 70s. And um, this the, the woman who started it, Alice Waters, she took this idea of, of going out to these small local farms and, um, and bringing the food back that day. And then she would make the menu 
um, on based that that day. You know, there's no like planning for next week. They they decide that morning what they're going to make for dinner, <laughs> and they print the menu right then. And so, and that's still the way that restaurant works. And it's it's a high end restaurant. You know, it's like um, dinner is a hundred bucks or whatever per person. The the lunch is is more affordable, fifteen bucks or whatever. But that started this sort of food revolution because it was all like, yeah, hey, we don't have to use like frozen food, and we don't have to like set the menu ahead a month of time, and we can. And then and so a lot of her staff. You know, the people that worked in her kitchen, they, some of them became farmers, you know, because they thought that was the more fun part of the thing. You know, restaurant business is pretty high uh, stress. It's very intense, you know, like everybody wants their meal, cook perfectly, like in, in, in this, um, you know, within a certain time frame. And, you know, it's very challenging. Uh, we're like actually farming, if you're of the right, you know, mentality is, is can be quite um enjoyable, you know, if you like growing stuff and, and um, you also have schedules and stress, but if you got uh, good sources to sell to like these restaurants and you can charge a premium, right? Because you're getting a better price than selling wholesale, then it's a win-win situation. You know, you got entrepreneurs out there on, on relatively small farms growing, you know, uh, stuff that they sell to restaurants that pay a, a, a premium because it's um, organic, it's fresh and, and the farm will grow what the restaurant wants. You know, so it's um, and it brings up another topic we touched on real briefly, um, which is like the marijuana um, industry, yeah. if you will. And, um, you know, this this is something that I think uh, as you uh, categorized it, you know, it, it it's it's really big and it's it's big with the millennial generation and it could be a lot bigger and it could be like um, it could be. Uh, an industry with all sorts of, of opportunities, you know, not just um, growing your own, which is, you know, um, and, and the supplying that industry, but, you know, there's all these hemp products and, um, and I don't know, you know, it's, it's kind of like the microbrewery thing, you know, it's like, yeah. it, 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 it supports all these other things, you know, and um, so if you want to talk a little bit about that, it, it's sort of, again, it's a local opportunity, you know, like why, why, um, if we illegalize it, then you can grow it almost everywhere, you know? Yeah. It will also too, like you think about, um, like just even in history, like I remember reading in, uh, this book, I think it was the creature from Jekyll Island. I, I think so. But, um, he was talking about how at one point in time, like the U S was so, deep in debt with banks overseas after it was like the war after the revolutionary war and yeah we, we bailed ourselves out with tobacco and it's like you know why why can't we bail ourselves out with hemp why can't we bail ourselves out with uh you know cannabis that that isn't just for industrial purposes i mean like there's so many things that you can use with hemp like you can and it, it's just it it still boggles my mind like even like every movement it's tied to so many movements. Like, you know, if you want to save trees, then, you know, definitely grow hemp. I mean, it's you can use it to make paper. You can use it to make clothing. I made a smoothie for breakfast today, and I had hemp protein that I put in there for sure because it's a good source of fiber and protein. And it's, um, you know, it's, 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 it's one of those things that it's like, man, if there was a plant that I feel like really that we actually had a really had a symbiotic relationship with, really feel like it would be hemp because – I mean, the original combustion engine was built to run off of hemp biodiesel. I mean, there's so many things that it's it's like the and so if it, it, in in like people like kind of heads of other industry have really tried hard to just choke that industry and demonize it and 
thankfully, you know, the in between the internet and just people experimenting themselves, they realize just how how ridiculous it is. Um, I was gonna, we were gonna, it, it didn't work out. We were gonna put on a screening of a movie called the uh, the Culture High that just came out, and it was put on by Adam Scorgi, but. We had some scheduling issues, and it was some theater issues, and we had a bunch of other stuff going on. But anybody that hasn't checked it out, I, I strongly recommend you check it out. It kind of it talks a lot about like the culture behind the demonization of, of cannabis, and I think you know it, it, it's a it's it's a culture that like cannabis culture. I mean, you know, you don't see people beating up their wives when they use cannabis. You don't see. I mean, people spend money that use cannabis. I mean, they're not all burnouts and everything. I mean, it's it's. I, I I think it's just like. I mean, to me, it's like you know, it's it's old news, but it's just like it still kind of boggles my mind that people don't. Not only do they not see the ridiculousness of the opposing arguments against it, but the economic benefits of hemp and cannabis legalization are just insane. And I think you know whether it be glass shops, whether it be. Um, restaurants based in hemp hemp clothing hemp paper there's so much stuff there's so much industry that can be created and if people and and there's so many new millionaires that are probably going to be created as a result of legalization yes very well said drew and um you know i uh having grown up in hawaii you know in the, the late 60s early 70s um then you know marijuana was um heavily uh, suppressed, right? I mean, it was a very good way to get arrested and thrown in jail <laughs> to, to, to be caught with it and stuff. And, um, it's, it, it's, it was, uh, I mean, it's still scary, you know, it, the, the, the suppression, uh, the repression, you know, of, of, um, cannabis in, in some States. And, um, I just think, my God, it's taken 40 years <laughs> to to just recognize the um, the beginnings of the health benefits, and and I do want to speak to a couple of things you just mentioned, which is uh, the millennials know all about this, and it's maybe it's educating Gen X and and the boomers who should know better. Um, is that uh, you know if you're a, I, I have a bunch of doctors you know medical doctors as readers and um, one of them is an emergency room doctor and and um, it's it's uh, it's really uh, disheartening and and sad to hear somebody you know the, in the trenches of the of the medical emergency community so many. Um, uh, bad things happen from alcohol, and I know I happen to like beer and wine, and um, but you know everything in moderation. And um, unfortunately, um, alcohol is a very powerful drug, and it's um, it has really negative effects, you know, if you abuse it. And so, you know, there's there's murders, there's spousal abuse, there's um, uh, you know liver disease. I mean, the, the list of illnesses created by um, uh, alcohol abuse is just endless. And then um, I actually did some research where uh, I was looking for any um, automobile or vehicle accidents uh, that, that could be directly related to cannabis use. And um, I spent a couple hours looking online and <laughs> believe it or not, I mean, there's something like 20,000 people a year are killed in the U.S. due to alcohol-related um, you know, vehicle accidents, right? Yeah. Somebody's drunk, they hit somebody and kill them. Uh, and there's, there's no, I can't find even one, um, verified 
uh, accident caused by cannabis. You know, there's some sort of like partial, like, oh, well, the guy was high. But in, under investigation, there was, there's never been a one fatal accident related to cannabis use. That's a pretty striking statistic. Yeah. The thing too, like even the way that they try to test you or they try to give people DUIs, they take, they look for, um, uh, they look for what are the, the, the traces in your blood that stay in there for six months. That's an automatic DUI if they do a blood test. And it's, it, it just kind of drives, it just, it just bought like this. And I, and I understand why there, there is the opposition. Like, and just like you said, there's no, there's no accidents. There's nothing, there's nothing like that. And you know, there people are like, well, there's, it, it mainly is, it's like, there's, there's government jobs at play that there's a lot of prisons. There's a lot of private prisons that are going to miss out for the nonviolent cannabis offenders that get released. There is, um, I mean, there's police officers, there's whole department, the DEA is going to have to shrink down quite a bit. And, um, but it, it needs to happen. I mean, you know, the, their argument now, I've heard arguments that, well, it's saving jobs to keep it illegal. And it's like, that's not a good reason to keep something illegal. Like, that's not what law is meant to be for. No, and I think the, um, the context I think about it, too, is, um, you know, a lot of our economy is basically rigged to benefit, like, cartels, you know, like, centralized uh, concentrations of wealth and power, right? Like, the tobacco industry is an example, and um, until the microbrewery, uh, revolution took off, and so was um, so was beer. I mean, there was like four companies owned all the breweries in like nineteen the late seventies, you know. Absolutely. And um, so, and and so, I think a lot of the the cannabis uh, hemp industry, it's like, well, if there was a cartel benefiting from it, it would be legal, and and it would be like, um, you know, it'd be like a major industry already. And the part of why it's suppressed is um, there is no. It's very difficult to centralize um, that production and control everything about it because marijuana grows in such a, a variety of, of climates, you know. I mean, it's a very hardy weed, hence its name, weed, you know. <laughs> it, it, uh, so and that's, that's part of it. It's why it's a threat is it's so um, obviously um, it's decentralized. You know, yeah. and um, and it, it it's actually quite open to local production, and and since it's hard to control that all the the profit centers, then that's part of why I think it has been suppressed. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Well, I tell you what, Charles. On that note, we we, we talked about before, kind of keeping this to be a shorter podcast, but um, love to have you on again next month. Hopefully, we don't have to wait as long. But you and I are both very busy men, so sometimes that happens. <laughs> well, I look forward to our next uh, show, and, and I hope we can continue doing it monthly because I learn a lot from your experiences. Well, I appreciate that, Charles, and uh, it's uh, yeah, I, it's very mutual, sir. Um, is there anything you want to promote before uh, before we get off? Uh, no. Um, thank you for mentioning my book, Get a Job, Build a Real Career, Defy a Bewildering Economy. Um, you can uh, read a sample of it on my site, um, oftwominds.com, and um, – Stop by and take a look at whatever I'm offering. Yeah, absolutely. Check out his book for sure, guys. It's a very good book. I can't hype it. I can't hype it enough. Um, you have he has 15 other books as well because he's a badass. So <laughs> <laughs> definitely check those out as well. All right, guys. Thanks again for tuning in. Got it.